in New York City on Staten Island, just across from the Gothels Bridge from Elizabeth, New Jersey, there is a very large distribution center and uh, fulfillment center for Amazon employing over 5,000 workers. Over the past year, during the COVID pandemic, there have been at least two employees who have brought actions or class actions against Amazon, alleging a failure to comply with the basic best practices or COVID mitigation strategies necessary to keep workers safe. And then the New York State Attorney General uh, threatened a suit for which Amazon brought a uh, action in federal court seeking injunctive relief, and then New York brought a suit against Amazon. We'll talk about all of that and the implications for every employer in America arising from this on this, the February 2021 episode of the OSHA 3030 with Mana Shrath. Welcome to the OSHA 3030 with Monish Rath. I'm Monish Rath, and I'm an attorney here at the law firm Keller and Heckman in Washington, DC. And I'm joined today by one of the attorneys on our OSHA law team, John Gustafson. John, welcome to the OSHA 3030. I should say welcome back. You've been here many times, and thank you for joining us on the OSHA 3030. Pleasure to be presenting with you today. Thanks for having me, Manish. Absolutely, John. As you know, we've been doing this uh, program for where well, I suppose we're in our eighth year. We're somewhere around somewhere around episode ninety. And uh, what we do is we cover in about thirty minutes the impactful and developing areas of OSHA law, and we try and do this about every thirty days. We've been doing it every month for all of that time since late two thousand thirteen. And the other thing I'd say is all of those episodes are libraried on our website, as you know, uh, OSHA, I should, be, I should say it's www.khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. And as well, for the past several years, we've been rebroadcasting this program as a podcast. So, so for those members of the OSHA 3030 community who missed the live version, they can catch this as a podcast, subscribe if they like, and then like the podcast so that it's more easily searchable by others. And for the past five months, we've been posting not only on our website, but as well uh, the video and slides and sound together. Uh, and you can find that on YouTube. So John, why don't we get into it? We have a great topic, the Amazon suite of litigation. <laughs> I won't call it a case anymore. It's, uh, it's a host of cases. Uh, and, and I think we ought to start by talking about one of Amazon's arguments and an argument that has come up in, in the two individual suits, and that's the concept that the federal law, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, arguably preempts state initiatives to regulate workplace safety and health on the same issues as come up in, in standards. John? That's right. Thank you, Manish. Um, and we also need to think about uh, to what extent does the OSH Act uh, preempt state law actions? If not fully, uh, is, it, is it only partly? And how can the states fill in those gaps? Or where, where do the state laws fill in those gaps? Yeah, great point, John. So let's talk about that too today. Uh, we'll talk about the facts in the initial two employee suits against Amazon. 
And then when Amazon was uh, participating with the New York Office of Attorney General in an investigation and a threatened suit against Amazon, Amazon's in, uh, suit seeking injunctive relief in federal court, and New York's ultimate suit against uh, Amazon, which was just filed very recently within the past, I'd say, a uh, couple of weeks. And, and finally, we'll talk about uh, some of the arguments that have been exchanged, the allegations and arguments that have been exchanged by the parties in their exchange of initial pleadings. Finally, as we always do, we will leave off with a practical discussion of takeaway items for you and the OSHA 3030 community. What in light of this suite of uh, cases should employers do? So with that said, let's get cracking. John, should I start by talking about some of the background facts in, in this case, or talk about the background of uh, preemption in the OSHA Act? Would you like to answer? Right, right. Let's, uh, let's start with preemption. Okay. So preemption is a concept that comes out of the U.S. Constitution, and it comes from a statement that essentially that the federal laws shall maintain their supremacy over state laws when the two are in conflict. And this constitutional principle has been litigated by federal courts and by the US Supreme Court many times in order to define more precisely what the boundaries of the Constitution's Supremacy Clause stand for. When Congress enacted the Occupational Safety and Health Act in 1970, they created their own statement as to the primacy of the Occupational Safety and Health Act with respect to state laws. And essentially, in plain English, what it says is, to the extent that OSHA promulgates a specific standard, that specific standard would have a preemptive value over any state standard on the same subject. However, to the extent that OSHA has remained silent in its rulemaking on a specific issue, it has left the field open and states may enter that vacant portion of the field with a standard of their own. That in a nutshell is how occupational safety and health law has been treated historically with respect to when federal law preempts a state provision and when it doesn't. We had an opportunity to see how federal courts would visit this when in uh, the case involving GAID versus the National Solid Waste Management Association, uh, it went all the way up to the US Supreme Court in 1992, they issued an opinion and the Supreme Court stated that the Occupational Safety and Health Act without question preempts state efforts to establish a specific standard provided that the issue that the state is attempting to regulate is one about which the US Occupational Safety and Health Administration has already promulgated a standard. And that for the past almost 30 years has been the guideposts for the doctrine of preemption with respect to OSHA law. Now, as I said earlier, this does not, however, prevent a state from asserting jurisdiction over specific occupational safety and health issues, provided that the, occupation, the US Occupational Safety and Health Administration has not promulgated a standard. And under the act, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, the, on the face of it, it states that the act shall not be construed to supersede either the common law or state statutes 
or any employee or individual rights uh, with respect to any other laws that aren't specifically covered under the OSH Act. John, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so, um, so these are really the, the provisions that are at issue here. Uh, what does it mean? What does in effect mean here? A standard in effect and what issues uh, do those standards cover? Uh, and then under the savings clause, whether these rights, duties, and liabilities uh, created by the state um, are protected and thus not preempted. Another uh, thing we should visit briefly is New York's history with the OSH Act and uh, whether it has, uh, where it is in terms of taking some of this authority. So if a state uh, submits a plan to the Secretary of Labor, it can have primacy over, uh, over a specific standard. It's called a state plan. Uh, so New York did this in 1973. It got approval from the Secretary of Labor to enforce its own standards. And then two years later, it withdrew that plan. So, and, and then since then, New York has expressly disclaimed its authority to promulgate standards in areas within OSHA's jurisdiction. And, and OSHA, excuse me, New York's statutory language says, a safety or health standard promulgated under this section of the New York law shall apply only to employees not covered by a federal occupational safety or health standard. So we're looking at this with that backdrop. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, why don't we also take one second to talk about the state plan states. So John, as you know, uh, the attorneys here, Keller Heckman have, have practiced OSHA law in every state plan state, as well as all of the federal OSHA states over the years. And these state plan states are, are probably a, a confusing issue as we talk about the question of preemption. So I want to settle one thing about this case, which arises in the state of New York. Uh, those of you who listen carefully to the OSHA 3030 over the years will hear me say that there's about uh, 24 to 26 state plan states and wonder, uh, well, why does Rath always use the word about? He's as an OSHA attorney. What's the exact number? Well, the answer is there's 22 state plan states that govern the entirety of the state. And there's another, I think, six that have varying degrees of state plans on file with OSHA. New York is one of them. New York's state plan that's on file only covers uh, local and state employees. So for private employees in the state of New York, they're still covered under the national OSHA plan. It is not a state plan state with respect to employees of private employers. It is a state plan state with respect to employees of New York municipalities or the state of New York. So here we have a federal US OSHA issue at stake. And so then the preemption clause obtains with respect to federal law. So with that said, John, walk us through these two employee suits against, against Amazon. Sure, Manish. Uh, so we have these two suits brought by uh, JFK 8 Distribution Center employees. That's in Staten Island. It's an enormous uh, center, as Manish stated. It's uh, actually bigger than 15 football fields on a single floor. 
Uh, so, so they launched these suits and uh, the New York office of the attorney general then used the facts of these suits to launch an investigation against Amazon. Uh, and this, this action cascaded. Um, the New York office of attorney general increased its threats and pressure on Amazon, threatened to sue. Uh, and then on the basis of that imminent threatened action, Amazon brought a preliminary injunction suit. That is a suit to stop New York from enforcing its own state laws uh, on the basis of that threat. And then Amazon's primary argument is that uh, the state laws are preempted. So this is all very fresh. Okay, excuse me. Then after Amazon brought that injunction, New York in federal court, New York went ahead and filed against Amazon in state court. So we have four lawsuits, only one has been decided and that's one of the employee suits that's on appeal. The other employee suit has not been decided. And then we have these two suits, which are really the focus of the preemption dispute. Uh, Amazon suing New York in federal court, and then New York suing Amazon in New York state court. Next slide, please. So John, yes, I was just going to ask you, there are two uh, employee suits that you mentioned. Uh, let's talk about what they, what they alleged. Sure. This suit was brought by a number of JFK 8 employees they were dissatisfied with the, uh, the cleaning protocols of Amazon. Um, they are, were dissatisfied with the uh, counting of time to maintain sanitation against them. Uh, so the disincentives uh, that they had not to uh, keep a sanitized workstation. And then they also sought uh, quarantine leave, including 48 additional hours of pay uh, for, for 2020 and now for 2021. These workers still work at this center. Um, and this is an ongoing suit. It's, it's, current, it's on appeal. At the trial court level, uh, the court dismissed it under the doctrine of primary jurisdiction. Although they spoke to the preemption issue, what they said was um, it's better for OSHA to decide these policy issues. In other words, what to do, what to require of the Amazon distribution center than for the court to try to fashion uh, uh, cleaning protocols and, and leave protocols uh, on its own. And this is a concept we've seen for a long time in American jurisprudence is courts are not in the best uh, position to, to develop requirements, substantive requirements for business when there are expert agencies that, can, that are better positioned to do so. So a slight variation on the preemption doctrine, they're simply saying the agency has the technical expertise 
they live this every day and they're the best to evaluate these kinds of claims. We talked about this case, for those of you who are careful listeners of the OSHA 3030, uh, in 2020, we referenced it a few times, perhaps in the July uh, or August uh, of OSHA 3030. Uh, it also came up last month when in the OSHA 3030 for January of 2021, I interviewed the head of OSHA uh, the head of OSHA for the past four years was Ms. Lauren Sweat, and she came on the show and talked about a great many things. If you missed that episode, by the way, it's a fascinating interview uh, with a fascinating person and an impactful person in the field of OSHA law, and she and she made reference to this case as well. Uh, so so check it out if you've uh, if you've missed it so far. Uh, so so that's the Palmer case. Then comes Smalls, and Smalls is an interesting storyline as well. That's right. So Smalls works at the same center, JFK eight. He had been close in close proximity to someone who was verified to be infected uh, with COVID, SARS-CoV-2. Um, so Amazon sent him home for 14 days paid leave with instructions not to return to Amazon property. Two days later, he came back to protest outside, but still on Amazon property, uh, outside the, the facility protesting the cleaning uh, conditions and Amazon's response to the pandemic. Amazon, because he had violated the terms of his paid leave, Amazon terminated him later that day. So Smalls filed an action in federal court for a declaration that Amazon had violated state court, state law, New York state law, and that's discriminatory uh, termination, retaliation for protesting these adverse, alleged out adverse conditions. Uh, and so that action is still pending. And that, that really flows into the next, uh, the suit that Amazon brought against New York. Yeah, perhaps John dissatisfied with the progress of those individual suits and the way the judges were leaning, the New York, the, the New York uh, Office of Attorney General uh, decided that it would take a hand at the table, so to speak, and uh, commenced an investigation. That's, that's an interesting development because when they commenced an investigation and started threatening the idea of uh, bringing a suit themselves, uh, Amazon filed or uh, yeah filed with federal court in the eastern district of new york a suit seeking injunctive relief and declaratory relief on the question uh, in part of of preemption john and i just want to note briefly that um, as this issue between the office of attorney general and amazon was escalating that I'll just say, I'll just call the agency New York. Uh, New York was citing OSHA standards, the general duty and the general duty clause under the OSH Act saying uh, Amazon was violating these components of federal law passed under the OSH Act. It also was referring to trying to refer the issue to the uh, with with reference to small specifically to the uh, National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, uh, to handle the the termination, whether that was fair. So this is New York effectively admitting 
uh, that these federal laws apply to this issue. It's an interesting admission in order to, to advance their case, they are citing DOSHA standards that they believe apply and that Amazon should have been following according to them. And, and they've, they've handed themselves to Amazon in Amazon's uh, suit for declaratory and injunctive relief relating to, to preemption because that, that constitutes a tacit admission, well, I should say explicit admission that there are indeed US OSHA standards that are directly applicable here. That's right, Manish. So I just wanna point out quickly that Amazon needed this imminent threat from New York to file for its preliminary injunction. Ordinarily, a dispute is not ripe until the action, which here would be the enforcement action by New York against Amazon, uh, occurs. Um, but Amazon has a firm basis for trying to stop it uh, because of those threats. So this case really turns on the uh, the language of the OSH Act Section 18 preemption clause, and then that Section 4 savings clause. And you'll remember the language that we had on the screen. It's, it stated that, in a, that a state can assert jurisdiction under state law over any occupational safety or health issue with respect to which no standard is in effect under the OSH Act. So the courts are tasked with an interesting problem here uh, and a problem that affects employers around the country. The question is, how are we defining these occupational safety or health issues? Is the issue only COVID? Or is, are these issues of uh, protective equipment, PPE, airborne contaminants, and sanitation for which OSHA has standards? If, they, if the issue is COVID, is it nevertheless, are these other standards nevertheless in effect for purposes of the OSH Act Section 18? something that everyone seems to agree, there are certain OSHA standards that clearly apply. Right, that's right, Manish. And, and then the question is, if, if the New York law then speaks to uh, certain protocols that uh, OSHA has not passed standards for, are those then, are those pieces of New York law rather than the entire New York provision are those pieces in effect uh, where OSHA has not spoken? So these are uh, nuanced and complex issues that the case is turning on. And of course, Amazon is saying that OSHA uh, has made the determination that its other standards uh, are in effect, are um, able to handle this issue, this the pandemic. And so they're in effect under Section 18 of the OSH Act. And, that's, and thus New York has no legal authority for enforcing New York law against Amazon. So as anticipated by Amazon, New York, the Attorney General's office 
ultimately does file its action against Amazon. And it alleges that Amazon has in its Staten Island facility and its facility in Queens uh, violated the section 200 of the New York labor law, which is New York's general duty clause, as well as several other sections involving retaliation and whistleblower protection for those employees who have complained, which is interesting because they, their allegations, their specific allegations of alleged deficiencies uh, are pretty much in line with the allegations presented by Palmer and Smalls. And they amount to, well, I think the, the ones that I would like to focus on are you have this productivity speed for your workers and employees clock in, clock out, and they're clocking out or they're, they're given some kind of allowance called time off of task for things like uh, sanitation, washing hands, et cetera. And they're feeling rushed and they're feeling rushed not to do those things properly. So they rush back to their task because of these productivity, these line speeds or productivity speeds or productivity metrics. And when they do that, that constitutes a violation of, of all of these guidances, including New York State's own guidance for warehousing operations and distribution centers, as well as the uh, occupational safety and health standards. And that is the basis of their allegation. So Amazon had anticipated this correctly and brought anticipatorily or preemptively a suit in federal court uh, saying that the Office of Attorney General had no, no basis for even having uh, a right to file this suit. And I, and I thought that was a great move, frankly. It was swift and uh, brought the battle to the New York State Office of Attorney General. John, as you noted, they are going to seek removal of the state claim against them to the federal court and see the, the, the matter gets uh, consolidated. I think that's a good move. They essentially told the New York State Office of Attorney General that you're a member of Prime, so we're going to deliver this to you uh, a little early. And I think that that changes the, the dynamic because now they get to uh, first establish this preliminary threshold question, which could toss out the substantive elements of the case. But I don't think that the substantive allegations uh, should be ignored here uh, on the OSHA 3030 episode. Uh, I should point out that uh, some of the, the allegations about this line speed and the busyness, and secondarily, this idea that when, when Mr. Smalls had uh, been quarantined and he was paid to be quarantined and all employees who were either uh, a COVID case a COVID suspected case or in close contact were given a paid quarantine for 14 days. They're, they're instructed not to return to the workplace as part of that COVID protocol. So as not to infect other workers. And Mr. Smalls knowing this and receiving the pay to stay at home uh, came back onto the campus and uh, to participate in a protest and was terminated for violating the quarantine instructions. And he claimed that that was retaliatory because he had participated in a protest. The New York State Office of Attorney General, lacking in the ability to see plainly that this was an example of Amazon enforcing its strict COVID policies, referred the matter to the National Labor Relations Board and argued that this was an, of another instance of a violation of their own whistleblower and retaliation laws, not seeing that it would be impossible, according to the New York Office of Attorney General, to both comply with their whistleblower laws in this fact pattern, and also with the COVID laws, uh, compliance expectations that they were imposing on employers as manifested in this very suit. Uh, so, so the substantive ma uh, allegations matter. 
and pushed to adjudication of those substantive allegations, I can't see for any uh, possibility that the New York State Office of Attorney General could prevail. Uh, well, let me set that one issue of retaliation aside and talk about a couple more. It's clear the protocols administered by Amazon were amongst the most comprehensive of any employer in the nation. Something I would expect because they had 5,000 employees coming in every day. They were deemed an essential workplace, an essential operation, uh, and they, they needed to keep operations running. So it was in their own best interests to be what I'd call rigorous in their application of their own COVID uh, mitigation protocols. And they were. Uh, they suspended this idea of time off task met metrics for anyone who was spending time on COVID mitigation, to which the New York State Office of Attorney General simply replied, well, yeah, but you didn't successfully communicate that to people. And so some employees were still afraid to comply with COVID protocols that you implemented and required of them for fear that they might uh, their productivity might be measured negatively, even though you weren't measuring it negatively. That's not an element of retaliation or whistleblower protections. The whistleblower or retaliation protections protect an employee who did the right thing and then was retaliated against. New York's allegation is essentially they didn't do the right thing. They were afraid to do the right thing because you have a productivity metric and they didn't know whether or not you might retaliate. That is a convolution of whistleblower or retaliation law. And I don't see how New York is gonna prevail on that one. Another fact that I think is compelling for employers listening and part of our Ocean 3030 community, the case rate at both the Queens facility as well as the Staten Island facility for Amazon and all of the other Amazon facilities in New York was 50% of the case rate in the city of New York, the general population. And what that tells us is that if you're walking down the street in New York City, the safest place to duck into would have been that Staten Island Amazon Fulfillment Center. It would have been safer than anywhere outside of the Fulfillment Center based specifically on Amazon's mitigation practices policy, monitoring, and enforcement measures like uh, keeping people away while they're on quarantine, something that they are, they're now cited by the Office of Attorney General for. Uh, far from representing a violation, I'd say that that represents compliance. Uh, so, so those are facts that I think have to be addressed. Uh, in light of this, what John, let's talk about what we think employers should do. What are the takeaway items from this case? Well, uh, the first question that might come to mind amongst our listening uh, participants is, well, what was the result of these cases? These cases, have, OSHA, I'm sorry, the New York's Office of Attorney General has just filed its suit. Amazon just immediately before that, about a month and a half ago now, filed its preemptive suit seeking declaratory and injunctive relief, uh, uh, alleging that New York should be prohibited from filing this claim, either based on the primary jurisdiction of OSHA or on the preemption clause, the supremacy clause or the preemption clause in the OSHA Act itself. Uh, so, so we have yet to see how these cases will unwind, but the mere fact that the state has brought these suits should be instructive and should lead us to some practical takeaway lessons. Well, I think the first is 
that we have, we have to keep an eye on this case and see how it's settled out. I certainly do hope that they're consolidated, the state case by New York and the preemptive uh, suit for injunctive relief by Amazon in the federal court in Eastern District uh, are consolidated in federal court so that we have some basis uh, of, of precedence or juris jurisprudential value elsewhere in the country for other states to follow. John, I think the other thing we ought to talk about is the importance uh, that this case highlights uh, for employers to not only follow federal laws, uh, like the guidance that's coming out by, by OSHA and the Centers for Disease Control, but also the local and state utterances on COVID protocols as well. That's right, Manish. Uh, it's, this is a great reminder that as an employer, you may very well be subject to state guidance and state law uh, overlapping the federal, stand, federal OSHA standards. And so you need to make sure um, to review these, these guidance documents, regulations, new orders, which are continuing to uh, be signed by, by governors around the country. Um, and then understand that this litigation has impact on what states can do and what states will do down the line. Yeah, and John, they come from a, a large array of uh, directions. Obviously, OSHA and the CDC, and uh, as well, some, some independent uh, standards organizations are giving out best practices and guidances. But at the state level, states have promulgated regulations. California has issued an emergency temporary standard. Virginia, my own Commonwealth of Virginia, has issued an emergency temporary standard. That number keeps growing. Uh, many states have issued guidance documents. As you mentioned, governors are issuing executive orders out of the office of the governor. Uh, state attorney generals have uh, issued their own memoranda, like California. Uh, there is litigation, both private litigation as well, several hundred in the state of Florida alone, just as an example, uh, as well as state litigation, like the one we just discussed today. So, so employers have to keep an eye out on all of these cities as well, uh, municipalities, the city of Chicago, uh, city of Washington, the District of Columbia have issued uh, their own, and many, many localities have issued their own guidances, uh, sometimes through the office of the mayor and sometimes sometimes through city councils. Uh, and so you have to keep an eye on those as well if your place of uh, establishment is in one of those jurisdictions. And it's important to keep uh, in touch with your OSHA council uh, to, to keep uh, getting the best counsel and guidance on how to, to reconcile any variations you'll see between these. John, looks like this time I got the last word. Uh, well, thank you very much, by the way, for joining me on this OSHA 3030. As I mentioned before, the entire library of OSHA 3030 episodes can be found at khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. Uh, we're also uh, on LinkedIn and this program, as well as for the past several years, episodes are available as a podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcast app, such as Google Podcasts. Stitcher and SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, even Spotify, and I think we're even on Alexa. Uh, I'll say that softly so my own doesn't go off. Uh, and as well, we're now on YouTube for these video plus sound and slides. Uh, we'll be back next month in March. Uh, keep an eye out for, for future dates for our sister programs, the Tosca 3030, the Reach 3030, and the FIFRA 3030. 
uh, as I said before, we'll see you in March. Remember, please, to keep forwarding on the invitation when you get it to th at least three other people within your organization and other organizations if they are in-house counsel or safety and health professionals responsible for keeping up to date and compliance with uh, the ever-changing field of OSHA law. Uh, forward that on to three people every time or more. We're very grateful. It's what keeps the program alive and what keeps the program complementary to you. John, as I said before, thank you very much for joining me. I look forward to joining all of you in the OSHA 3030 community next month for another episode of the OSHA 3030. And until then, stay safe.